Week 25, In My Defense. Continuing in this study of Acts, last week we saw how the Apostle Paul, after about 20 years of ministry, finally got to Jerusalem after years of being led by the Holy Spirit with the knowledge of one thing that God said, it's time for you to go back to Jerusalem, but be encouraged, jail time and suffering await you. And that's all he knew, that the only thing he had to look forward to was jail time and suffering. And he gets to Jerusalem, and after honoring all of the Jewish traditions, the Jewish people, if you remember, they still tried to murder him. There was such a big riot that when the guards picked up Paul so he wouldn't be killed, it says that they had to pick him up over the shoulders of the crowd because they were trying to grab at him. And I made a joke, it was like the first crowd surfing in Scripture. Paul had to rise over the crowd, taking him up to the fortress. And as he was taken up to the fortress to be brought into jail, um, I want to read the last few verses to kind of give you a reminder of the context because tonight what we're going to study is what Paul says to this riotous crowd. So I want, I want to, just as a review, Paul was being carried up to the fortress, carried up to the jail by the guards. And in Acts 21, the last few verses, starting in verse 37, it says this. As Paul was about to be taken inside, he said to the commander, May I have a word with you? Do you know Greek? The commander asked, surprised. Aren't you the Egyptian who led a rebellion some time ago and took 4,000 members of the assassins into the desert? No, Paul replied. That, that wasn't me. I'm a Jew, a citizen of Tarsus in Cilicia, which is an important city. Please let me talk to these people. The commander agreed. So Paul stood on the stairs and motioned to the people to be quiet. Now that's kind of funny to me. Paul gave one of these to the crowd that just tried to kill him. <laughs> Wouldn't that be kind of cool? Like a crowd tries to kill you because like, you're doing the God thing and then you get in a position to be like, chill. <laughs> so, Paul stands on the stairs, motions to the people to be quiet, and soon a deep silence enveloped the crowd. And he addressed them in their own language, Aramaic. And if you know anything about the Jewish culture, um, Aramaic was all, is also interchangeable with Hebrew. It was Aramaic. It was Hebrew. It was a language that the Jewish people spoke. So in a moment, Paul got a chance to share the gospel and the kingdom of God with a crowd who wanted to kill him. And we talked about the reason that he was able to do that because he was prepared for sacrifice. He was prepared for anything that God would have him do because his peace was not in the midst of peace. His peace was that as long as I'm sharing the gospel and carrying out the will of God on my life, that's the peace that will lead me, no matter the circumstance, no matter how tough it gets, or no matter how easy it may be. No matter how difficult the situation, my peace is simply this, I'm carrying out the will of God on my life. And every single one of us has an individual will on your life that he wants you to carry out. And now, in Acts chapter 22, as Paul does the silence the crowd motion, and the crowd is silenced, we're going to see the sermon that he preaches. Well, why were they silent? Because all of a sudden, they saw Paul as something similar to them. Because Paul was now speaking in their very own language. Something that surprised them. So, in Acts chapter 22, Paul starts delivering this sermon to a very angry crowd. That's not quiet. Acts 22, verses 1 through 2. Brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul said, listen to me as I offer my defense. Someone shout defense. Listen to me as I offer my defense. And when they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. Once this crowd hears that Paul was speaking Aramaic or or Hebrew, they became even more quiet. A quiet as in they were ready to receive whatever Paul was about to say. Now I want you to remember the Jews were mad and they wanted to kill him because they assumed and they heard that this Paul guy brought a certain kind of person into the temple. Do you remember what the person was? 
was a Gentile. Someone that was not Jewish. And back then, in order to get into the temple as a Jewish person, you had to follow the Jewish Mosaic law, the law of Moses. And according to the Jewish people, the really um, detail that they wanted to make sure that everyone had to get into the temple was one specific piece of the law, and it was that of circumcision. They said, if you don't follow all of this law, you are not worthy to get into this temple. And Gentiles did not practice circumcision. They weren't Jewish. They weren't brought up that way. They had no reason to go through the practice. So they were mad because they felt that Paul consecrated their holy place. Or, or um, uh, um, not consecrated. They, they felt like Paul disrespected their holy place. They felt like they de- he desecrated. He, they felt like it was totally uh, uh, something that should not be done. It's almost like a lot of churches today. You know, some churches you walk in dressed like some of y'all dressed tonight, it wouldn't be cool. <laughs> it's just the truth. You know, some churches, if the music is a- above a whisper, it's disrespectful. That's why we provide headphones <laughs> for those of you that might need a little more quiet. It's just certain people have their beliefs and their ideals and what they think is holy and what's not holy. The Jews had a certain way of doing things, but the Jewish people felt like if you didn't obey the laws like we see it, you ain't worthy. It wasn't even a matter of opinion to them. It was, it's our way or no way. And earlier in this this series, if you remember, God had to deal with this with the apostle Peter. He, He had to teach Peter that Let the Jews practice what they want to practice with circumcision. That's okay. But don't force that on the Gentiles. Because whether you're circumcised or not, don't let that thing be the divide. Because the only thing that qualifies you to enter into the presence of God is not a practice. It's the blood of Christ which bought you. That's the only thing that qualifies you. And the Jewish people were not okay with that. And certain Jewish Christians... Still were not okay with that. There was still this whole renewing of the mind thing going on. And it's still happening today. And it's not even so much just Jewish people. that There's, there's a lot of renewing in the mind in the church today of what qualifies you. And we go through this, well, you've, you've, you've got to live this way and you've got to be like this. And we've made everything about practice and we haven't understood that practice doesn't qualify you. Practice is the response of, how you, uh, of, uh, of what you respond to the debt that was paid to qualify. The practice does not qualify you. The debt that was paid qualifies you. And that was the issue going on here. They felt like Gentiles could not get in because they were not following the law to a T. And Paul, gaining the favor to address them, starts off saying, here's my defense. Because he just almost got killed for this rumor that he brought a Gentile into the most holy place, the temple, and he starts to preach and he says, here's my defense. Now that word defense in the, is actually the Greek word apologia. And that's where we get our English word, guess what? Apology. So what Paul's about to offer, he's about to offer an apology specifically about his past life and his actions and making his defense as to why he is even here in Jerusalem bringing Gentiles in, or even being associated with Gentiles. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Verse 3. So Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia. I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. As a student, I was carefully trained in in our Jewish laws and customs, I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. And Paul, speaking in Hebrew as a Jew to the Jews, starts to lay some common ground. He says, let me explain to you the life I had before Jesus. 
He says, just like you, I was born outside the promised land. I was raised in Jerusalem. He says, you know, Gamaliel, and if, if you remember from early in the series, Gamaliel was actually one of the most prestigious rabbis of the day. He says, not only was I born outside the promised land and I was raised in Jerusalem, but I was a student of the rabbi that you respect the most. He says, and by the way, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was the Jew of the Jews. He says, I followed all the laws and I know them all. He says, I, 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 I get everything you're doing. And then he even compliments the crowd that just tried to kill him. He said, I was passionate to honor God in all the things just like all of you. Because in their mind, being, it says, zealous for all the laws was their way of being right with God. And he says, I, I was zealous just like, yours, just like all of you. You guys try to follow the law to the T. He said, I was there. I did all of that. I was a Jew of the Jews. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I had every uh, I dotted and every T cross. I'm there. And the crowd's engaged. Because they're identifying with this Paul guy now. The one that they just drug through the crowd. They didn't know all this by the guy they saw. Because what they just saw didn't look like the man that he just described himself to be. And then Paul starts to go on with his defense. Look at verses 4 and 5. He said, I persecuted the followers of the way. Now remember, the way is what we refer to now as Christianity. He says, I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some to death. And that was literal. He said, I, hounding some to death, arresting both men and women, throwing them in prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so. I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the followers of the way from there to Jerusalem and change to be punished. He says, I was so zealous... And so passionate to please God, just like you, that I persecuted these people of the way of this man called Jesus, that I was responsible for even killing some of them. And he says, and if you don't believe it, go to the high priest, because there's documents to prove it. He said, I got records. The high priest will tell you. I was the number one guy. I, I was just like all of you. I did every law. I believed just like you. I don't, he said, I believe just like you that Jesus wasn't even the Messiah. And because of that, in honoring God and being zealous for the Father, I persecuted everyone who said anything about this Jesus guy. So Paul's message is very clear. He says, why is he painting this picture? He says, I get why you attack me. Because once I was like you, and I understand where you're coming from. He says, once I was in your shoes, and if someone like me came into the crowd just like me, I would have done the same thing that you just did to me. I would have drug them through, and I would have tried to make sure that they were dead. Paul had not, Paul had been a Christian for about 20 or 30 years at this point. And he could still relate to those who were not. Which makes me ask the question, why is it we get so offended at people who simply do not know him? Because I want you to think about everything going on in America and the world right now. I am, I am this close to canceling social media and cutting advertisement for the church. Because I believe there's going to be some power in the secret place. We're already hidden location-wise. If you don't know how to get here, it's pretty hard to get here. We're tucked behind every building and pooler. But if you look on social media, it's like Christians versus non-Christians. And, and now it's even Christians versus Christians, but... We're sitting here just speaking against people who just simply do not know. 
They don't know who Jesus is. They don't know who God is. And the ones that claim they do really don't by the way they live. The Bible says you can tell who a believer is by the fruit of their life. And just because they say they claim Jesus, look at their life and you know if they really are of him. But we are responding to people who don't know him and are so offended by their opinions. We get so offended at people who are starting to believe. I mean, that there are political parties now standing up for rights for pedophiles. Now that makes me sick. But Christians are so quick to speak down to people with that opinion and they simply do not know. There are people who are enveloped in witchcraft and darkness and we're so quick to speak down to them and evil against them and oh you're going to burn in hell and they simply do not know. And for some reason we think if our first response is to rebuke their eternity somehow that is going to convict them to turn to Jesus. Paul didn't scorn these people. He says, I get it. You just simply do not know. You know what the Bible says about offense? In Proverbs 19, 11, look at this. It says, a wise person demonstrates patience. For mercy means holding your tongue. Mercy means holding your tongue. When you are insulted, not if, when. Be quick to forgive and forget it, for you are virtuous when you overlook an offense. The NIV version and others say it is your glory to overlook an offense. The original word for offense here actually means to cause to stumble, a stumbling block. Because what should be covered in love, and as soon as we get offended... Love is the last thing we cover offense with. When we get offended, we respond to it as if they know when they simply don't. Paul should have been very offended that they claim that Gentiles had no place here, that your Jesus is fake, that we killed him on the cross, that he's not the Messiah. He didn't get offended by it. He says, I know where you're at. I get it. He didn't, he didn't say you're all burning in hell. He didn't, you know, say, God, bring down fire from heaven on the Jews. He, he didn't do any of that. He, he just says, I've been where you're at. And I get it. And in this world, there are so many opinions and so many offenses, and we get so offended and mad and angry at people who simply don't know. And the question that arises in me when I'm reading this story is what do we do when we, when we come in contact with people who simply don't know and we get so, how, how do we cover offense and love with people who don't know that speak so harshly against our beliefs? Because I, I hear a lot of preachers who might preach this, well, don't be offended, cover in love, but I want to know the How? Because if you don't give me the how, it's going to be really hard for me to apply, well, how do I love an idiot? How do I love ignorance? 1 Corinthians 1, 18-23. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. Let me pause right there. Now think about what modern Christianity says evangelism is. Take a card that has the Roman road to salvation that talks about the cross and share the cross to people who think the cross is foolish. It's scripture. It, ain't going, it might make you feel better 
But it ain't going the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. Why? Because they simply do not know. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. We know they don't. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. Amen. So where does this lead the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? I love that this, this message, is, I, I think this scripture needs to be shared everywhere. If you have social media, it, 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 everyone has got a debate. Everyone's got a scholarly. The CDC is saying this, and the scientists are saying that, and the, the governor is saying this, and the mayor is saying that. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this lead philosophers, scholars, and the world's most brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. Look at what it says in verse 22. It's foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. And these days it ain't just Jews asking for signs from heaven. Christians even still ask for signs from heaven when Jesus says, why are you still looking up? Let, let me say that again. For everyone listening on this podcast. It's foolish to those who look for signs from heaven. It's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. They're the philosophers. They're the scholars. You got people who look to spiritual, heavenly things up in the clouds. And then you got people who look to scholarly wisdom. Verse 23, so when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. Paul knows. He says, I understand why they're attacking me. Because I used to be like them in that everything I'm doing looks foolish. It looks like nonsense. I'm offending them. And in their eyes, I'm a stumbling block to their pursuit of what they believe is the truth of God. And all they want to do is get rid of me because in me offending them, they look at me as their stumbling block. Because what I'm doing looks foolish and stupid because it's not scholarly and it's not the sign from heaven coming down. And the reason they missed Jesus, because he didn't come down of what they thought the Messiah was going to look like. You think, you think about modern Christianity. We are looking for signs from heaven of the end of the world based off of a book that no one knows how the heck it's supposed to be interpreted called Revelation. And we're taking that and saying, these are the signs of the times. And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the wind. But we're still trying to figure the win out. We're trying to use intelligence when God says intelligence is not how I'm going to do it. <laughs> is this all right? So what's the answer? Use the foolish things. He says your foolish preaching so you know what Paul does? Paul doesn't get up and start using his scholarly ways because Paul's a smart dude. We're going to see next week he's a Roman citizen born into Rome. He's Jewish. He knows multiple languages. Paul's smart. He's a tent maker. He's preaching. He's, he's building churches. He ain't dead yet. But he starts telling a foolish story. And what's interesting, and, and a lot of people don't, they skip over this little detail, the story that we're about to read, and part of the story we know about the, 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 when, when Paul's on Damascus and he gets blind, he shares a vision in the story that he doesn't share in any other letter except this chapter of Acts. So he starts to tell a foolish story to a crowd that he knows he can't win with intellect and signs from heaven. He says, I'm going to address this with foolish talk. So look at what he says in verse 6. As I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, 
Now remember, he's already told them, I was a Jew and I was doing Jewish things. A very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. I fell to the ground, heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now how many of you know that if this story showed up on a Facebook video, most people would be like, the, the, the heck it did. That didn't happen. Or there'd be like, you know, Netflix doc, documentaries about, you know, the, 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 is this true or there's a scam or they, no one would believe this today. Paul's like, one day I was approaching Damascus about noon, a bright light shone down. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. And the voice replied, I'm Jesus the Nazarene, the one you're persecuting. Can you imagine them hearing this? The one that they killed talking to him out of a bright light. While, verse 9, the people with me saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice speaking to me. That didn't help Paul. They heard, they heard a voice, but they didn't know what it said. Only I know what it said. They didn't know what it said, but I can tell you what it said because I'm the only one that can hear it. That didn't help his credibility. I mean, can you imagine... Y'all, there was me and about 10 people, and a voice started coming, but no one could understand but me, so let me tell you what it was. <laughs> people would be like, man, you crazy. That was just thunder. <laughs> Aliens. It's just conspiracy theory, Paul. I asked, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus and... There you'll be told everything you are to do. I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led by hand to Damascus by my companions. Think about how foolish this story sounds. He says, at noon, the brightest part of the day, a brighter light showed up. I fell down. A voice started speaking. No one could understand it but me. Then I got blinded by the light. And then, and then, I had to rely on people to lead me based off of my word because they didn't hear what this rumbling was that I heard from a light at noon on the road to Damascus while I'm Jewish trying to kill Christians. Talk about foolish talk. He sounded like an idiot. But what did God just, just tell us in 1 Corinthians? This is how you're going to do it. Verse 12, he continues the story. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law, and well regarded by the Jews of Damascus. He came and he stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. At that very moment, I could see him. That was foolish in itself. You mean to tell me you were blind? Someone said, see, and you could see? And then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you've seen and heard. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. In the defense he was giving, in the apology, in the testimony to this Jewish crowd who just tried to kill him, he says, God led me to a man who was well respected by all you Jews. And that man spoke a word to me to be healed, and I was healed. And he told me he referred to the God of our ancestors. Paul's telling the story, making sure he's, he's making sure the Jewish people know we are, we are not saying we worship a different God than you. We are all in this same game. Paul is telling the story, and at this point, not once did any of the Jewish people interrupt. This was the same crowd who was rioting so much that the guards had to come in to save Paul's life. And they silent. So as Paul's telling this foolish story, isn't it funny the foolish thing kept the crowd quiet? And the government's trying to use intelligence to stop riots and it ain't working. Just throwing that out there. But the church can't get together and pray. I've already told some people this. Y'all know how we're starting Wednesday Night Discipleship starting in August? God's been telling me before you teach anything about fivefold ministry, the people need to learn how to get on their knees and pray on Wednesday nights together. Because been, been, I talk a lot about what we should do, but you know what? 
It's time to start. We, we got to start doing it. We, it don't need to be I'm bored. It needs to be let's get on our faces before God and pray. Because if we can't learn to pray and seek the face of God, there, there's no point of teaching anything else. Because it's foolish. Because I'm, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a strategy guy. I'm a, I'm a logistics guy. I'm a let's make sense guy. And I'm just going to be very transparent with you. I've never been the one that's just, just all about let's just pray. You know what I've been realizing? That really is what it's just all about. And I've got to be okay with just doing dumb stuff. Because you know what the scripture just said? The foolish things. <laughs> okay. Maybe, maybe that's part of the decrease for increase. Decrease your strategy and increase the, the foolish. Yep. So he continues the story in verse 17. He says, After I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple, and I fell into a trance. <laughs> now this is the interesting part because he's about to describe the trance. And this is the vision that Paul doesn't share anywhere else in Scripture. Paul says, I came back to Jerusalem. I was a follower of Jesus, but I still came back to Jerusalem to pray in the temple. Why? Remember what he grew up? He grew up as Jewish. And in the practice of, of being a Jew, what did you do? You went to the temple and you prayed. He wanted the crowd to know, even though I now trusted in Jesus, I was never against the Jewish culture of praying in the temple. Paul said, I just had a new understanding that it wasn't the temple that qualified me and it wasn't my time spent in the temple that qualified me. He said, now the time in the temple was a response to the one who qualified me. I don't come to the temple to get qualified. I come to the temple to give time to the one who qualified. Which makes me want to address something. We don't need religion and we don't need practices to be saved. But what we do with our life in the coming together with believers and what we do alone says a lot about how we receive what Jesus did. Because if we truly believe he paid a debt, you got to start looking at your life and embrace the idea of, does my life look like a good response to the price he paid? Not, do I follow the Bible to be saved? Not, do I follow the law of the word to be good? But I value what he did so much that what my life is is a response to what he did. And when I start to look at the sins in my life and the falls in my life, it's not a matter of, I need to fix my sin to be worthy it's I want him to get a proper response by my life now this message is called in my defense and some of you may be wondering like what, what does that have to do with anything you just said watch what Paul says next after I return to Jerusalem, is this, is this okay? Okay. After I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple and I fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, hurry, leave Jerusalem. For the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Now this was probably the most surprising thing for Paul to hear. Because in Paul's mind, he was probably the most qualified person to preach to the Jews because he was the Jew of the Jews. He knew the custom. He knew the religion. He knew everything. He played it by the T. I mean, Paul did everything. He knew everything about the Jewish culture. He figured, I'm the most qualified. 
And that's often like what, what a lot of preachers do. They say, well, if we know the culture, we can minister to the culture. And God's like, no, 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 no. That's, I, I, don't, I, I don't need you to be intelligent about the culture. I need you to be a fool. I need you to be an alien unto the culture. I need you to, to look strange to the culture. I need you to look like a foreigner to the culture because I don't, I don't want you looking like the culture that I need to redeem because I don't like how it looks, so please don't look like it. I used to think a lot different, but I'm growing. <laughs> and Paul didn't talk about spiritual experiences much. He wanted everything to be about the truth of God, but for some reason, Paul shared this spiritual experience. Paul says, in my defense, y'all want to know why I disappeared and I hadn't been here in 20 years? He says, it wasn't my choice. He says, I love you Jews, and I love the Jewish culture. I love the Jewish religion, but in my defense, it was never my choice to stay. If it was my choice, I would have stayed with y'all. But my God told me I had to go. I'm going to read two scriptures that are popular, but I'm going to tie them together. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Now I want you to look at that for a minute. They're plans for good and not for disaster. And God just said, Paul, all you know is Jewish culture. Get out. Run. I saw a Facebook post about Joseph. Run. God said, Paul, get out of Jerusalem. They're not going to receive you. I know the plans I have for you. They're plans for good. They're to give you a future and they give you a hope. But here's the catch with plans of the Lord. Luke 9.23. Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower... You must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Paul said, God told me I had to go. It wasn't my choice. Because God's got plans for you. But in order to follow the plan, you're going to have to sacrifice something of all you know. Because he doesn't need your, your knowledge. He doesn't need your intelligence. He doesn't need your scholarly ways. He needs to use you in a foolish way. He needs to, he needs to do something with you that ain't going to make sense. And for Paul, the most foolish thing he could have done was God said, Hey, Paul, all you know is Jewish culture. So, so I need you to leave for 20 years before you can ever go back. And the scripture in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says their plans for good and not for disaster. It seems like disastrous to Paul. And then Paul even argues with God in this vision that he's describing. Look at these next two verses in Acts 22. But Lord, y'all ever had that, that moment with God? God says something, you say, whoa, but... Are you, God, are you sure you know? <laughs> and we laugh, but you know you do it all the time. But Lord, I argue, they certainly know that in every synagogue, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. I was in complete agreement when your witness Stephen was killed. I stood by and kept the coats they took off when they stoned him. Paul told the Jews, I argue with God. I didn't want to leave. I tried to stay. I love the Jewish people. I love the customs. I reminded God that I love the Jewish customs so much that I'm the one who had the first one martyred. I, I, I'm the one who did all that. 
He said, and everyone knows that's me. And you want me to lead this? You want me to lead the people who I can minister and go to people who are scared that I'm going to kill them? God, are you sure? And then Paul tells the Jews the one thing that seemed disastrous. Paul tells them, God told me this. Verse 21. The Lord said to me, Go, I'm sending you far away to the Gentiles. Now what got Paul almost killed? Bringing what into the temple? A Gentile. And Paul could have used his intellect and preached the most scholarly message and the most intelligent thing in the world and impressed all these Jewish people with all his knowledge. And instead, he says, let me tell you about my day 20 years ago. I was walking on a road, a light shined brighter than the sun. I heard a voice that no one else could understood. I understood it. I got blind. I came to Jerusalem. I started to see after I saw a Jewish man. And then when I saw, I came back to the temple in Jerusalem praying. And while I was praying in your temple, God told me I've got to leave Jerusalem and go to Gentiles who aren't welcome in the temple I'm praying in. That don't sound too smart for Paul to be talking about that, does he? Jesus didn't agree with Paul. Jesus knew it was not time for Paul to preach in Jerusalem. In the temple, Jesus said, go to the Gentiles. In the temple, Jesus said, go to the ones not worthy of, uh, of this man-made temple. Go to the ones that they won't allow in. Paul says... To all these Jewish people that just tried to kill him, in my defense, it was never my idea to go get the Gentiles. It was your God's. He told me to go. And I wonder if we were to take a look at our life and if you were to say the words, in my defense, are you making decisions out of God's leading or only what makes sense to you? When someone says, why do you do that, and you have a, in my defense, is it God led me, or is it, it just made sense to me? And there are too many of us at this stage in life who are at a place that God never intended you to be because you never included him in the decision and you never had to make a sacrifice that he called you to make. You know, you've made, you may have made sacrifices, but there are plenty of people who make sacrifices that have nothing to do with God. It's not just you make sacrifices. It's what sacrifices are you making for who? Are you at a place where you are walking in line where you say, in my defense, the reason I'm here, the reason I'm doing this is because I followed him. Because I can tell you, when I, I, when I talk to pastors around here, the only thing I've got to say while we're having church and we ain't doing social distancing in here and we ain't marking off chairs, the only thing i got is in my defense, God told me to open the doors. And I've been meeting with pastors. Well, ain't you scared someone's going to get COVID and sue me? Or ain't you scared someone's going to die from COVID? Ain't you? And I was like, I'm just like, well, in, in my defense... God hasn't given me a spirit of fear. In my defense, God says the foolish things. What's foolish right now? Meet and pray. What's foolish right now? Come together. When the intelligent thing says, stay apart. But he says, I'm going to take away the intelligence from the intelligent and use the foolish things. It's not opinion. It's literal scripture. Is this too much? <laughs> he says, 
God told me to go to the Gentiles. In my defense, the reason why I went to the people who you can't stand, the people that you think are not worthy for a temple, God told me to go. Well, look at verses 22 and 23. The last two verses of this passage. The crowd listened until Paul said that word. The crowd listened to that entire sermon until Paul said that word. What word? Gentiles. And then they all began to shout, Away with such a fellow! He isn't fit to live! And they yelled, they threw off their coats, and they tossed handfuls of dust into the air. They listened silently the entire time. But when they heard that one word, Gentile, an uproar of offense manifested. They didn't want to accept the truth that God wanted Gentiles who didn't practice Jewish customs. And when I read that, not only are we in this mode of in my defense, am I acting out of God's will, but as we're in God's will, how many times when truth is spoken that we reject something because of that one word or that one thing that when you hear it, you tune out or you check out because there is an offense that is still there from an old belief, an old tradition, an old way, something that happened to you in your life that just causes everything to just black out. Or maybe even you get a word of God saying it's time to step up and the first thing, no, I've been burnt too many times. And you, you get the word, but offense. And that, that's why the scripture calls it a stumbling block. Because the offense is causing you not to be able to move forward. So like when God says it's time to go, do you say in my defense, I've been through that and I'm too scared or I don't, I, I don't want to step out again because I don't want to get hurt or in my defense, God, I, I don't, I don't want to walk into this area because I've been burned too many times or are you at a place where you say in my defense, even if I get burned again, my peace is I follow God's voice. Because we, y'all, we're in it. We're in a day where there are so many people with so many gifts from God who won't use them because man has abused them and man has managed them improperly. And the the church is suffering and so is the world because the ones who do know believers aren't walking in their gifts in the foolish things that will cause those who don't know to know his name and know his voice. The Jews couldn't receive it and they rejected it. Are we really all that different? I said, are we really all that different? And I wonder tonight, where are you at? Where are you at in the in my defense? Are you following his will? Are you taking a pause? Are you going in a different direction? Do you have that one thing that causes you not to move forward? Do you have that one thing that says, I, I, I just, I, I can't? Or are you at a place like Paul where you will give up anything to please the Father? At some point, we've got to get out of our minds and we've got to get out of our, what we call discernment, which sometimes ain't discernment. Sometimes we just got to say, God, yes, no matter the cost, because if you know the plans, God, that you have for me, 
if following you means another chance that I might have to be sacrificed or sacrifice something, I'm going. We've got to go there. We've got to be there. If we don't, we're never going to get out of the chaos we're in in this world. You know, the more and more I read the scripture, everyone has taken on this truth that it's going to get worse and worse and worse before Jesus returns. But if if I'm reading the scripture right, it says he's coming back for a spotless bride. So what if in the midst of the world getting worse, what if we're not? What if we're supposed to get stronger while that's falling? I mean, how, how many of you want Jesus to restore all things? If that's going to happen, we've got to walk out the restoration right now. Think about it. How do you become something? How do you become? You, you, you think about goals in life. Think about like a, a muscle builder. You don't become muscular by asking God, make me muscular. You start doing things that a muscular person is. You start walking in a process to become that thing. And for some reason, believers, it's like, well, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pray that God does it, and one day it'll be. And God's like, no, 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 no. I want you to start walking out what I'm bringing you to. I want you to start walking out the thing that I'm bringing. I'm calling you into something. Paul had to leave Jerusalem, and he didn't come back for 20 years. God had a plan for him. And if you all stand just for a few moments, I want to invite every single person in this room. If you are at a place where if you've realized either I'm not walking in God's will or I'm walking in the opposite direction, or I, there's one thing that the Holy Spirit's been speaking to me that I have not responded to because of a past thing or an offense or whatever, whatever, whatever God's speaking to you. Maybe if there's something where in my defense, I, I haven't given something up for the plans, whatever it is, if God's been speaking to you, as Jacob leaves, I just want you to fill this altar and I, I just want to pray with you. I want to speak things into you. I want my team to speak things into you. I want to awaken, I, I believe dry bones will be awakened tonight. Come on. Just lead it, Jacob. Lead it, Jacob. You go.